Hey guys, Ryan here with a quick note. Wanted to tell you about the upcoming ARM TechCon event in San Jose this October. It's moving from Santa Clara to San Jose. It's one of the last remaining true developer conferences of merit after the demise of IDF. There's going to be a lot of interesting stuff at the show this year. Emphasis on security, 5G technology, AI edge processing. Uh, there's going to be a keynote from Drew Henry that will have a reveal of ARM's server roadmap. There's also one of ARM's lead CPU architects will have a keynote on lessons learned from Spectre and Meltdown. Listeners of this podcast, we actually have a, a deal for you where you can get a completely free all-access pass that is regularly priced at 999 bucks. All you have to do is use our offer code, which is 18armshrout1. It's a little confusing. 18armshrout1. Use that when you sign up at armtechcon.com website, and you can get basically your free all-access pass, keynotes, sessions, everything. $999, completely free for you guys. 18armshrout1. And now, let's get the show started. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tech Analyst Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Shrout, Principal Analyst at Shrout Research, joined by Patrick Moorhead, Principal Analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Patrick, good to talk to you. Ryan, good to talk to you too. Uh, I am on the road uh, in a hotel room uh, at an undisclosed location. Uh, I'm not in a bunker though, so that's good. I'm in a W hotel. <laughs> that's that's a plus. Uh, I, I I don't have a work trip scheduled until the end of this month, so I'm going to enjoy the, the the couple of weeks at home. Um, but uh, just because I'm not traveling doesn't mean stuff is not happening. Let's talk about news that has occurred over the past week or so. We're going to start talking uh, about the new Kirin 980. Uh, a launch, if you will, the new Huawei uh, slash high silicon processor launch that occurred. There is um, there are significant claims about performance, basically going directly after the Qualcomm Snapdragon, you know, eight forty five level performance. Uh, that I don't think they really talked about Apple comparisons a little at bit. all. Yeah, there was a, a I think there were a f- there was one or two A eleven comparisons in the slide. What, deck. what I what I took away most interestingly for me was just kind of how all-encompassing their product portfolio really is. Right? They've got the they got the application processor, they've got uh, uh, AI processor, they've got modem, they've got Wi-Fi, they've pretty much got everything you need in this design all built in-house, which is obviously a very Apple-like design decision that. Uh, Huawei started on, you know, six, seven years ago or so. But uh, there, of course, there was there was controversy surrounding this as well. Uh, and you wanted to dive into a little bit about uh, what this benchmarking, these performance claims really meant and and what what their uh, uh, hand in the cookie jar result might mean for their entire portfolio. Yeah, so they're on a roll. Uh, you know, Huawei is the number two uh, provider out there, and at least based on uh, Anshul's analysis of the P20 Pro camera, it's it's just uh, phenomenal. You know, on the other side, they uh, they're basically banned from the U.S. and Australia and Japan are 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 looking into their products uh, as well from a security point of view. So. You know they had they've had kind of a you know a roller coaster ride here, um, and at IFA, you know, and I'll just read directly from the press release. Uh, essentially, says the Kirin 980 has absolute superiority 
and as the ultimate engine to power next generation productivity and enter- entertainment applications, delivering 75% better CPU and 46% uh, GPU. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of it made sense to me uh, just because it's based on ARM's new A76 CPU and the Mali G76 GPU, right? Yep. And like you said, they have their own math matrix multiply uh, for ML inference. It's fabbed on 7 nanometer, uh, and also it's one of the first chips to to support LPDDR4X. So it would seem like this thing would be great, but it started to fall apart you know, when they, they did their uh, presentation, um, and particularly after Anantec uh, wrote an article called Huawei and Honor's Recent Benchmarking Behavior, A Cheating Headache. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we saw this about five years ago. Huawei isn't the only one who was caught doing this. I think Samsung was doing that on the S4, but yep. essentially it, it's what you would expect because... You know, Ryan, your other company does a lot of benchmarks. Um, It is essentially um, it going into a performance mode, whitelisting the application, going into a performance mode without letting anybody know that it's going in this mode. So in actuality, let's say on games, even though it would rip off an amazing uh, benchmark, uh, 3D mark or something like that, it wouldn't actually be able to do that in real life. Okay. So, um, anyways, um, you know, I'll just read a couple of their, their, their quotes here. Basically, hey, newer devices come with a benchmark detection mechanism that enables a much higher power limit for the SOC uh, for more generous thermal headroom. And essentially, it took uh, the Kirin 970 uh, down to, uh, you know, winning a bunch of benchmarks to literally losing everything. <laughs> <laughs> Nantech reran the benchmarks and and literally and I'll, again, I'm not making this stuff up. Um, um, you know, the, the, it says the Kira 960 and 970 are lacking in both performance and efficiency compared to almost every device in our small test here. And they were comparing devices with uh, older Snapdragons with the 835 and the 845 Exynos A, A-, A-, A- series. So, you know, it just got me to think. You know what can I actually believe about the about the Kirin 980, right? Yeah. Uh, all the benchmarks that were put out there, uh, essentially, they were painting a picture uh, against um, uh, the 845 uh, that it basically clobbered it uh, on CPU and GPU, and uh, Snapdragon and the A11 from Apple on inference <laughs> performance. And twice the Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi throughput for performance than, than Qualcomm. Um, so I, I think what they really did is they took what could have been an exceptional launch. And, and now I think anybody who's in the industry is kind of doubting what is really going to pop out. Uh, were the numbers that Huawei's president of the division showed on stage the juiced ones or or not um but in the bigger scheme probably the biggest threat to huawei is is it's potentially going to be late with 5g and qualcomm went on the record and said that everybody who's doing an 845 is going to do 5g and that it's going to pop out in uh, in q1 right um and the last time that i ever saw a 5g chip 
from Huawei, it looked like it was the size of a desktop chip, not right. the size of a smartphone chip. Um, so Huawei, maybe this illustrates just how concerned they are about being late with 5G. But anyways, maybe I'm overthinking this, but um, I love benchmarking and um, <laughs> you know uh, diving into the whys and the whos and uh, and the whats. But anyways, what do you, any any top of the? I mean, you've done this for years. Uh, yeah. I did bench marketing for years <laughs> at uh, at AMD. Right. So we've been on both no, sides of this. I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's being exaggerated any. Right. I mean. Um, Part of part of what became complicated about performance testing, I'd say, in the last five to seven years, is the idea that thermal considerations matter as much or more than uh, any other component in the system, right? So when we first started getting into testing processors and notebooks and how and how important performance became there, and then thermal headroom became the 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 top feature or or capability or engineering metric that you had to look at right all these all these people all these companies could make processors that could run really fast but could they run really fast inside the power envelope and the cooling envelopes they were provided and in the mobile sector this is more crucial than than ever right where uh, battery life literally means everything, and uh, you know. Uh, then you get into secondary things like temperature of the device in your hand uh, and uh, consistency of performance as well. Like all these things can can be knobs that any of these companies, whether it be a cell phone provider or a chipset provider, can can turn to to change things as they see fit. And yeah, the fact that um, you know renaming a benchmark from uh, you know GFX bench to GFF bench. And, and suddenly the power draw is half and the performance is, is less than half is is incredibly damaging. And the fact that the story comes out, you know, a couple of days after the announcement of the of the Kirin 980, nobody's got the Kirin 980 performance or a device yet to test. That will be later, I think in October. You would I would be shocked if this came out in with any kind of mode that uh, was considered cheating, right? After after this type of stuff, but also something to keep in mind is like at the chip level, Huawei doesn't isn't competing with anybody. You know, they're not selling the chips to third parties. They're they're only competing against Qualcomm in in that will their own phone division always use their own chips. Um, so if, if they can trump up numbers and, and get attention in the Chinese market, which is where Qualcomm is concerned, right? Because Qualcomm has a lot of Chinese partners that are building phones that um, you know. If, if Huawei's out there uh, stomping on the ground talking about how much better their performance is than everything that, that they have access to in the Snapdragon portfolio, that's a problem for them. Um, so I, I think getting to the bottom of all these results and actually seeing the, the truth behind it is, is really important, but it's also something that's going to be, as we've seen now, very cyclical. It's going to haunt us for a long time. And it's also, to be fair to all, all parties involved, it's, it's difficult to track. It's difficult to, um, to, to really dive into this stuff in an environment where you don't have root access and you don't have administrator access to a lot of these devices once they leave, uh, once they leave the factory. So uh, one other thing to talk about at IFA. We talked. Uh, we'll have we'll have a couple stories from there. But Lenovo, one of the most interesting things for me, at least, uh, was that they launched the Lenovo Yoga C630 WOS. And I, I, I assume 
I, I assume we're supposed to say the letters and not WAS or something to that effect. Um, this is the first Snapdragon 850 always on, always connected PC. Hence the WOS at the end of that stands for Windows on Snapdragon. Um, this is it's the it's the first of the second generation devices, right? So we're we've kind of we're moving past the Snapdragon 835 into the Snapdragon 850. This is where you get performance claims of about 30 percent improvement across the board in performance, CPU and GPU. Um, 20% better battery life, 20% higher peak LTE speeds with the 1.2 gigabit per second peak modem there. Um, the design itself, I've seen it in person, is, is I don't want to say surprisingly attractive, but it's it, it feels like a high-end flagship device. It's, it's thin, it's a uh, two-in-one um, convertible, not a detachable, which I prefer. Uh, it's got a full HD screen on it. Um, you know, they're, they're still selling it in a four gigabyte configuration as well as an eight gigabyte memory configuration, which I'm a little bit disappointed, but they're just trying to hit price points, I guess, with that four gig. But it feels more like a premium device. I think we would both agree that this is a platform that while uh, both of us were more impressed than we thought we were going to be in kind of just the mapping of the Snapdragon 835 to Windows, you know, it needs more performance, right? It needs to be able to keep up um, with a lot of the competing Intel solutions. And this is that first step to doing so. And I think it's going to have a starting price of... Either, it was either seven ninety nine or eight ninety nine, and I can't remember exactly. I want to say eight ninety nine, um, but yeah. So L- Lenovo, they were they were last to the group of three for the eight thirty five generation. They're their first out with the eight fifty, and uh, I'm pretty excited to see what this will do. Even though I think we've we've talked about the excitement of the next chip that will be coming for that. This one is an inter- inter- intermediate step that is necessary to continue to prove out the platform, continue to prove out the partners that can be built, that Windows is, Microsoft is working on, on, on the Windows adaptions for this, or adaptations for this, rather. Yeah, I'm really jazzed about uh, the category as a whole. I believe that that unless uh, you know there's some new killer use case uh, for the PC, this is the future of the PC. So at a minimum, this will be uh, a very large segment uh, of the market in in five years. So yeah. uh, a lot of eyes on it, and it does take a lot of technology to get it right. I mean, low power and high performance are, are going in two different directions. Uh, but when your applications aren't necessarily uh, driving the need, and you know this is not going to be for somebody doing CAD or high-performance games or uh, billion-cell uh, spreadsheets, but uh, it is, I think, going to be perfect for uh, getting uh, work done with, let's say, Microsoft 365 and all of the services and software that that go along with that. A lot of the use cases that a lot of people have, and and I think this is the hardware personification of uh, this whole, you know, hashtag future of work. Uh, there I said it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like you said, this is not the the you know the end of the line, but it's 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 a milestone uh, along the the progression of what needs to to happen. And you know, integer performance is is at the right uh, power levels uh, and using proper modern standby is is what this requires. And I'm looking forward to get my hands on it. I, I've evaluated three uh, 835-based um, AOA CPCs, 
And I'm looking forward to get my hands on this one to see uh, see if uh, Lenovo raised the game. Agreed. Let's talk about a little bit of a disappointment in the news this past week. Global Foundries um, that both of us have a lot of experience with. You did uh, working at AMD for a while. I did. You know, as soon as they were they were split off from uh, the AMD group. Followed these guys for a while, worked with them for a long time, uh, and both of us were out there, gosh, when was that? Um, April, February, I think, All I of know this is year. it was very snowy and very cold, so yes, definitely that's right. the winter. So I'm, I'm going to say January, February, we were out there, up in Malta, in New York, and they were talking about 7 nanometer production, and they announced last week, a couple weeks ago, I guess it's been now almost, um, that they were backing out, they were halting their 7 nanometer development um, they were going to instead focus on refinements of their 12 nanometer and 14 nanometer production process, as well as other areas that they believe they can differentiate for customers such as FDSOI and uh, 22, was it FDX technologies as well? And, you know, that's the two kind of what we thought were going to be the first two 7 nanometer facilities out were going to be TSMC and Global Foundries with Samsung in the mix as well. And Global Foundries, you know, halting this, they you know, they didn't say we're, we're temporarily suspending. They didn't say it was indefinite. It was, it sounds like a canceling of seven nanometer, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, it's, it's a little disappointing and it almost, it caused a little bit of uh, uh, eyebrow raising, especially, you know, their primary partner being AMD in this in this space and the, a lot of the discussion over I'd say over the last year two years had been how deciding how AMD or learning how AMD was going to split up its production capabilities between TSMC and Global Foundries which chips would end up where we thought at one point that CPUs would be at one and GPUs would be at the other depending on how the technologies themselves panned out. Uh, I got to talk with Lisa and I know you got to talk with some people at AMD as well and, and they were adamant that the shifts at Global Foundries were not going to affect their timelines, their execution, their product uh, roadmaps going forward, that they had taped out a CPU and a GPU on 7 nanometer at TSMC already. They had done none of that. They had not finished a tape out at Global Foundries yet. They had spent some time and money there, but they had not taped one out yet. So they weren't um, suddenly trying to scramble to move a design from one foundry to the other, which can be a complex, a complex feat. So... They seem to settle in the market. There was a little bit of unrest in, for, for one day, but they've continued their upward trend since then. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the, the Global Foundry news and, and how it affects AMD or IBM. Yeah, so let me start big picture just just with, you know, this is just the reality of that it takes $15 billion to do 7 nanometer and a fab and the technology and fill uh, the fab up with equipment. And Global Foundries had a had a fab. They had some equipment already installed. In fact, uh, we both saw even the EUV machine. That yeah, uh, yeah. And there was one installed, running test chips, and there was one more uh, to go there. So this is expensive, and and Moore's law, uh, you know, gets harder and harder to uh, to do this. And so, and by the way, it's not just the fabs. It also limits the customers who can. Who can do this? Because the customers ultimately have to pay for all of this stuff. So, I think we're left with uh, Intel, uh, Samsung, Xilinx, uh, Nvidia, 
uh, AMD, IBM, uh, and maybe a handful of more who, who even can, oh, sorry, uh, Qualcomm and Apple who can actually afford seven nanometer uh, parts because ultimately sure. they have to pay for this. So uh, not only are we limiting competition in in fabs and, and who can do leading edge, we're also limiting competition uh, in the amount of people who can actually afford uh, to do this kind of stuff. So, and I don't think we know the full impact of that, which if only a handful of companies have access to leading edge and can afford that, uh, what does that mean uh, to the future? Um, I guess as analysts, hey, we'll spend some time on that. Uh, the near-term stuff, yeah, I mean, just like you said, AMD, 7 nanometer, uh, all, all of their uh, tape-outs were already at TSMC. Some people botched their stories saying that uh, AMD was moving 7 nanometer. I mean, you have to right. have something before you move it. Uh, I, I get it. Uh, IBM has some time in that uh, they weren't moving to uh, power 10, uh, moving to 7 nanometer and below until power 10. And quite frankly, uh, they have more uh, technology than people even understand. And they actually license their transistor technology to uh, companies uh, like mm. AMD. So, um, you know, no big uh, short-term uh, impacts here. I am actually happy with the direction that Global Foundries is going. I mean, I even brought this up uh, with Sanjay Jha at uh, the, the last GTC, and we talked about, you know, how is Global Foundries going to be able to pay uh, to be leading edge and leading edge and leading edge in low power, um, mm-hmm. given given the volumes? And listen, he he unabashedly said, "Yeah, we're we're in we're in investment mode. Okay, and investment mode means, you know, we're investing more than we know uh, we're going to have to get get a payoff there." So they picked low power, uh, lower performance as as to differentiate on and. You know their their FDX technology is uh, is really good. Uh, they're the best in RF. Uh, so you know anything right. that has five G or Wi Fi or four G needs an RF, something or other. Um, so you know I'm I'm happy to see that they picked something. I'm listen. I'm disappointed that that we're going to have one less leading edge fab though. Yep, I agree. Uh, let's roll through a couple more things here. Well, speaking of, Intel rolls out more 8th gen offerings. This this uh, uh, also came from IFA. Intel, I guess, completing their 8th generation processor uh, lineup. This has been, I think, by all accounts, the longest, <laughs> most drawn out product launch. And again, we're, we're, we're technically... You know, the, the, basically, what Intel launched was uh, new parts in the Y series and U series for eighth generation. These are even different, uh, you know, architectural names of Amber Lake and Whiskey Lake into these parts. You got the U series as kind of your traditional fifteen watt part. Y series being the you know six and under to four and a half watt um, parts. These definitely address different markets. They're although you know a lot of stuff came out about whether or not these had Spectre and Meltdown fixes. As it turned out, the uh, the Whiskey Lake parts did, but the Amber Lake parts did not. But the Whiskey Lake 
hardware mitigations were actually uh, not affecting Spectre Variant 2, which is the one that is actually performance uh, uh, impactful in its software fix. So nothing, even though it's, it's good to see Intel moving forward on hardware mitigations to those particular side channel um, vulnerabilities, the big one, the important ones haven't been fixed uh, yet, but it's, it's, a, it's a good first step. Did you take away anything from this launch in terms of what you would expect from a performance standpoint, what you would expect from a feature standpoint, or does this seem more like a, uh, you know, it's it's the time to do it. We need to release these new parts, and and this is this is what we have to today. Well, listen, uh, nobody, even Intel, would dispute that they'd rather be sitting here with ten nanometer uh, parts, right? Yeah. Um, this is where they wanted to be a year ago, but but they're just they're just not. Um, and this is them putting their best step forward on their best uh, process they have right now, which I think is lovingly referred to as 14 nanometer plus plus uh, process. It has the same KB Lake uh, CPU, uh, has higher boost frequencies. Now, we don't know how that's going to benchmark or, or reflect improve real world experiences. Uh, right. I hope it does. You know, you hope it does. Um, and uh, an improved uh, Wi-Fi uh, and audio DSP uh, capabilities. I mean, you know, this is absolutely their best foot forward. And, you know, let's just say they got 20% uh, better yields uh, on this process. That means they can basically lower prices if they wanted to or play pricing games yep. to compete better with AMD. Um but, but yeah, I, I think that, that they're fighting a, a two, two or three front battle right now with uh, AMD and uh, Qualcomm and um, IBM. And, you know, this is the best thing that they can bring uh, to the market. What, what I think got lost in the coverage was that uh, OEMs, and I saw some really cool looking stuff from Acer and Dell and HP and Lenovo is the designs were improved uh, on the devices, hmm. even though the thermals and the performance wasn't radically, radically changed. Probably the coolest thing I saw was uh, this notebook from Acer that was literally the thinnest notebook I'm pretty sure I'd ever seen uh, before. Yeah. So huh. it, it, and there's always a lag between uh, when a new chip comes out and when I'll say that a platform is optimized uh, for it. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. I, I would say, again, these are very similar to the previous generation, so it, it does give the OEMs a little bit more time to perfect designs without having to tr change the uh, platform underneath it, which is probably... You know, at least helping accelerate the the changes that you're noting there. Um, you know, I, I talked with Intel a lot about these things and, and all aspects of what their consumer lineup is doing, and, and they understand that the the battle against AMD at the higher end and and Qualcomm at the lower end of the mobile space uh, for low power parts is is a tough battle. And yes, you're right; they would love to have had a um, positive and yielding 10 nanometer node. To, to help address some of that, but Intel still has and maintains a significant performance 
and efficiency lead over its competition in this space, right? You can go. We can go. We can talk about the desktop in a, in a, on a different day and in a, in a different way. But um, from from a mobile standpoint, it would. It's you're still hard pressed to find a whole lot of solutions that are that are beating uh, Core i5, i7s in terms of battery life, along with performance, along with capability. So I don't know. Um, you know, it's interesting what you look at because AMD can crank the frequency up. Um, on on their mobile parts a lot higher than they can on their desktop parts. Um, so um, and Intel already added the double the core, so and yeah. you can drop a you know a multi core bomb on them like, like they did with uh, right. with with desktop. But um, and that's the reason why I think you know these boost um, algorithms now. AMD doesn't even have a four and a half watt part. So right. uh, you know to your point, AMD doesn't even participate in the market but on that side they're fighting qualcomm yep yep it will it will be interesting and obviously we just talked about the lenovo device and that's those are the ones it has to battle there i think intel is not as worried about the 835 or the 850 as they are about what the eventuality of the a76 based notebooks will do whether that be called snapdragon 1000 or something else um and they may be Sweating a little bit more in that regard, but we won't have to worry about that until at least you know early next year. So uh, CES at this should be should be fairly interesting. Um, you wanted to follow up a little bit with your three weeks you've spent with the Galaxy Note Nine from Samsung, and I know you've been you've been uh, a fan of these devices in, in previous iterations. So has anything changed this time around? So first off, I. I evaluate or review these products a little bit differently, right? Um, I don't, you know, first of all, I spend more than one or two days with it. I feel like three weeks or a month uh, to really get the feeling. I load all of my applications. I put all of my data, including pictures, and then I live with it. I make it my primary phone. So with that said, you know, that's a little bit, hopefully more than an excuse than being late (laughs) with a review. Um, But... um, I mean, I, I, I think that from a business person's phone point of view, you know, I feel like Samsung just did it again. And this is the best phone for a business person to have. It's a combination um, of the display. Uh, the display is huge, 6.4 inch per display mate. It's the best display out there. And it looks hmm. amazing. Uh, and I think what that means is, you know, being able to do for me, it, it, that means, you know, the ability to edit um, office documents on the phone and, and not go completely crazy. It means taking notes on my phone when it's not socially acceptable with the pen so people don't think, uh, you know, I'm tweeting. I'm actually listening right. to them uh, and, and taking notes. Uh, hmm. It's a you know a a one point two gigabit per second modem from Qualcomm, which you know we've talked ad nauseum of of what what that brings. Um, you know, people sometimes say connectivity doesn't matter, but when I'm sitting on the tarmac and somebody's I'm trying to download that last file and I'm getting like one or two bars, I got to tell you, you know, uh, the Note Nine has a connection and my second phone which is the iPhone 10 doesn't have a connection 
that to huh, me is is one of the biggest reasons why having connectivity from you know I basically run my business from the combination of, of my phone uh, and uh, and the PC. Um, the Charger Duo, I mean, these guys are on their fifth generation of Charger, and this Charger Duo, uh, I keep it right next to uh, right next to my bed. It charges my phone and my new Galaxy Watch uh, at the same time. I'm hoping Apple ships that soon. Like, I fell off my chair when I saw that for the first time, and Apple brought it out, but Samsung is actually shipping it, right? <laughs> How novel. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, uh, the camera, I mean, best little light camera out there. Uh, while I do appreciate the 3X zoom of the, of the P20 Pro by uh, Huawei, uh, the, the biggest reason that I switched off the iPhone 10 to, to this is the camera. I mean, it's literally the hmm. best uh, low light uh, out there. I'm not the only one uh, who, who says that either. And I think finally, um, um, uh, you know, I'm one of these strange people who actually uses decks and connects it to uh, TVs when I'm in a hotel room. Uh, I'll bring a small fold-up keyboard and a mouse uh, and I can actually basically have my my PC anywhere I want. I have yet to have the guts to leave my PC at home. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I can right? understand that. Um, and maybe, you know, when um, foldable uh, displays or rollable displays come out, uh, I might have enough guts to uh, actually do that. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and I would recommend it for, you know, any hardcore business person that that's looking to run their business from their phone. Yeah, I, yes, I would agree. I haven't, I haven't used the note nine yet, but I, I did enjoy time with the note eight. Um, and, and would, would try this again as well. The pen became more useful than I thought it was going to be, which is one of those things that's, you know, it's it's the it's the standout feature. It's the thing that you can easily see is unique yeah. about the device, uh, and it. But it's not it's not just show either, which is good. Yeah, and the screen. By the way, I, I totally never used pen until the screen off memo. Okay, I am not a pen. Yes. I am not a pen guy. But when I'm there, I can click that thing out, and I can just I don't have to do anything. I don't even have to log in. I just start taking notes. Right. Um, not only is it more socially acceptable uh, to me, but it's it's fast. Yep, sounds good. And our last story um, this afternoon: Dell expanding the PC as a service program. This was part of your your coverage from VMworld uh, out in Las Vegas, the convention capital of the technology <laughs> market, if some if nothing else. Um, PC as a service is essentially uh, when I when I try to tell somebody who has never heard of it before, it is essentially. Um, Renting hardware and services uh, on a on a lease type program. Does that seem like a a simple enough single sentence explanation? Yeah, you know that's that's the way some people uh, arrange it. Uh, you know, I think what Dell and HP even Lenovo are trying to do is kind of bump that up to where um, they'll have deployment services. They'll have what's called life cycle services, which is a fancy way of saying we'll recycle the thing uh, mm. for you, and we'll do security. Uh, and make sh- uh, do your help desk uh, as well. So it's essentially the AWS model for uh, PCs. And um, I-, I am very carefully watching this because I think this is going to be the next big thing in in client computing. And I think that uh, the next layer of this is you're going to see P- 
people designing systems for PC as a service, which means they might do hmm. it for PCs that last a year, or they might design a PC to last for five or six years. Yeah. Uh, and you're just interchanging uh, components. But, um, uh, you know, the news here is that they brought a lower tier of businesses, 200 to 300 units, really targeted the small and, and medium size um, uh, customers, and uh, also the milestone that it's uh, it's officially a worldwide uh, launch, which, by the way, is really hard to do. If you think about this, you have a multinational company, let's say it's Procter & Gamble, who's sending people all around the world. Uh, you have to have a point of presence in almost every major country in the world to yeah. be able to do their help desk, do the deployment. Again, deploying a PC in this model says Dell ships it directly to the end user, circumvents IT because IT uh, already huh. in the cloud knows that when they boot up that PC, the latest uh, firmware, uh, the latest operating system, applications, and even the user's data is is going to show up. So Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a brand new model. It, it's kind of a quasi... Uh, you know, merge between uh, the smartphone and, you know, like an AWS cloud service. So uh, I, I think this is going to be the next big thing uh, in enterprise computing. Everybody is working on it um, and, and see it, you know, see it as a, uh, a revenue and profit dollar driver. Got it. Got it. Sounds good. All right. That's going to be it for us for this week. Running out of time. Again, if you want to find all of our back episodes, previous stuff we may have discussed, you can find all that at thetechanalysts.com or you can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or any other place that you locate your podcast. Subscribe there and then uh, you'll be on the list to get all the future episodes as they go live. So that's it for us. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.